The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Cool. And that's it. No, no nickname. I don't need one. And uh, this is a long-awaited episode of Cancel Too Soon. This is a show I've been trying to get Whitney to watch for over 10 years. <laughs> over and 10 years I, I of constant needling. Uh, well, first of all, it wasn't constant needling. You've brought it up a couple times. And secondly, I was never resistant. It's just a matter of finding the time. Well, it's also finding the show, because the show yeah, that we're well, talking about was uh, it was a cult series to begin with. Uh, the found kind of designed to be so, I'd say. Oh, yeah. This was never going to be a huge breakaway hit. This is always destined to find a, a, a devoted but small audience. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, it's a show that aired on some television station. <laughs> it, it aired on BBC Four. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I was, it was aired on Channel Four, which, uh, uh, and it aired which, from January twenty ninth um, to March fourth, two thousand and four. Which, from what I understand, is kind of a joke unto itself. Like BBC One is where they put all the prime programs, and you know they sort of like shake the filter, and all of like the the lesser and lesser shows fall further and further down. Mm-hmm. So by the time you get to BBC Four, that's like really low grade stuff. Well, I actually don't know that, nor I, I do I did. feel like it's appropriate to. To lay the smack down on BBC Four, but okay. <laughs> uh, in any case, it aired on BBC Four in 2004. It didn't do great, but it had enough of a devoted following that it got its own DVD release. The DVD started making the rounds. Eventually, it started appearing on Adult Swim in America, but it never had a DVD release in America for the longest time, so it was hard to get people to watch it because nobody knew when it was on. Finally, it found its way onto YouTube for a while, and it was able to show people a little bit, and then it was taken off of YouTube for many years. But dang it, it's back. You can watch it on Amazon uh, it, Prime, at least in America. In the in the United States, and this is one of the weird... Uh, 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 details about just living in the streaming age is... So many of these studios scoop up, you know, gigantic uh, groups of movies. They never just sort of piecemeal them out. They usually get them in a big hunk. And all these obscure movies or obscure TV shows will just suddenly show up. They've been unavailable mm-hmm. for years, and now they're just sort of available without any kind of fanfare whatsoever. No, they're just sort of all of a sudden, they're just, oh, that's a, oh, I've been looking for that for decades. Holy crap. So, yeah. and, thanks, and, Tubi or and whatever. there it is. Yeah, Tubi will dig something up. And in this case, it was Amazon Prime. Yeah. In the United States, and yeah. uh, and all of a sudden, this show is available. And I'm so glad it is. If you saw the title and you went, yay, mm. you already know what we're talking about. And if you don't recognize the title, let me introduce you to the nightmare-fueled world of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. I'm Garth Marenghi, author, dreamweaver, visionary, plus actor. 
about to enter the world of my imagination. You are entering my dark place. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is one of the most high-concept shows I've ever seen, and I am deeply in love with it. <laughs> so it's a comedy program, and it's it's a horror and th- well, it's it's a horror show mm-hmm. hosted by uh, Garth Marenghi. Now, Garth Marenghi is a very he, in the universe of the in show. the universe of the show. The author, Garth Marenghi is a fictional author. Yeah, uh, and in the universe of this show, he introduces his own show, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, mm. a fictional show that ran on the BBC back in the nineteen eighties. Yeah. And well, no, it was supposed to run on the BBC in the 1980s, oh, wait, but it was too controversial, a, so it only aired in Peru. It only aired until in now. A, a, a rare run in Peru. So we get yeah. an introduction of every episode from Garth Marenghi, who is who thinks he's he's like Stephen King or Dean Koontz, mm-hmm. but who is very, very clearly modeled after Harlan Ellison. Uh, in some respects, yes. His, his prolific nature is very specifically modeled after Stephen King. His self-seriousness is labeled after Mar- uh, 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 is uh, modeled after Harlan Ellison. He's played by Matthew Holness, who is best known for playing this character and also creating this character and co-creating the show with Richard Iowade, uh, who has gone on to have a, a, a probably a bit more recognizable career. Uh, he was in the IT crowd. Uh, he he's directed several films as well. He did that uh, Jesse Eisenberg film, The Double, um, and uh, yeah, so. Garth Marenghi is an incredibly prolific author. One of his lines is, I'm one of the few people you'll know who has written more books than they've read. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite lines. Just one of my favorite lines ever written. That's such a great that's such a great boast. Mm. And I love it. Uh, but he is completely full of himself. Mm. And he thinks he's the greatest author ever. And every single episode of Garth Marenghi, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, starts with him in his office reading some paragraph from one of his random novels and it's always and it's, the stupidest thing you've ever it's, it's heard it's awful um there was yeah. one of them i think it was in the the sixth and final episodes like and they peeled each other's clothing off and they made mad animal passionate love throwing throwing all caution to the winds and just turning into sweaty animals yeah. and then a hell beast ate them <laughs> well in the middle there he's like they, they threw wild caution to the wind and had mad passionate sex in all the positions on top Doggy and normal. And normal, yeah. And then a healthy state. <laughs> and then a healthy state them. Um, so it's he's like in, a, he's incredibly proud of himself. Uh, and back in the eighties, when he was an even bigger author, apparently, the, uh, again, the, this is all within the fictional fabric yeah, of the universe. None of this is real. Yeah. Uh, Garth Marenghi was a fictional author in this universe. He was approached, and the eighties was a time when a lot of people were being brought into television who were perhaps better known in other mediums, uh, oh, in this, order to sort of. Give television a bit of a goose. Michael Mann did Miami Vice, for example. Uh, Paul Rubens brought his stage show to, to kids television mm-hmm. for uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. And, it was uh, and David amb- Lynch was about to do Twin Peaks. It was the ambition, and in, in, additionally, it was the ambition of every stand-up comedian at the time mm-hmm. to get their own TV show. Yeah, uh, There was a big uh, stand-up comedy boom. Comedy clubs were opening everywhere, and comedians... Uh, were using stand-up comedy as a means of auditioning their material for TV shows. Yeah, uh, a lot of the comedians at the time really resented this—that people were using it as a springboard rather than exploring comedy in a more pure fashion. Yeah. So I, I, from what I understand, Dark Place began its life as a stage production. Mm-hmm. Garth Marenghi's and, Fright Night, but Night with a K. Yeah. Fright Night, and uh, so Garth Marenghi is very much like. 
Pee Wee Herman or Elvira in that they came out of that groundling school of create a funny character and mm. shop it around on stage. And indeed, Elvira and, and uh, Pee Wee Herman started as stage characters. Yeah. So Garth Marenghi was hosting this uh, stage program and ended up leaking up onto the BBC. So, uh, so the premise, okay, so again, to clarify, the premise of the show is back in the 80s, he was asked to come up with a television series. His television series was called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and it starred Garth Marenghi, who also wrote, directed, and uh, hummed the original theme song before (laughs) someone else performed over it, uh, this whole series. Uh, And uh, he was blissfully unaware that it was terrible. The acting is terrible, the writing is terrible, uh, the production values are terrible, and they're full of like mistakes that were intentionally put into the show. Mm. Like You can see the boom mic, or you can see the strings on top of the various uh, yeah. special effects. The, um, the, very, the very first gag is one of the characters walks into this you know, very plain uh, hospital hallway set, and they lean over to pet a cat that's not there yet. Uh, then we see us. We see the stagehand's hands throwing the cat from a doorway. Yeah, and she pets the cat. And then there's a close-up of the cat. The cat says, "Just leave." And, and, then, and then you hear and, in her in her voice, "That's funny. I thought that cat just told me to leave." The cat yelling "Just leave" <laughs> made my heart explode in joy, and I was in love with the show immediately. <laughs> the pilot episode has some of the funniest lines ever. What was it? Um, uh, she, she, uh, the the Oh, who is uh, who's well, the, the, let, the, the let's, character? Let's run down a little bit more of the, oh, the show within the, the show. The show within the show, sorry. I'm uh, so excited to talk about all of this. I want to uh, rush ahead. The show within the show takes place at Dark Place Hospital, where uh, Garth Marenghi stars as Rick Daglas, a, a, a fearless, heroic, but secretly tortured doctor who is also an expert in the occult. Uh, and uh, joining him on his journey are uh, Dean Lerner, his boss, played by Richard Iowade. Richard Iowade also plays, uh, in the universe of the show, Garth Marenghi's publisher, Thornton Reed, who had never acted before doing this show. Mm. And you can tell. Well, no, Dean Lerner was the name of the the producer. Thornton Reed was the Dark Place character. You, you mixed you, up. You yeah. My apologies, sorry, I get... Uh, no, so it's it's fine. There's 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 three three layers going so on. Many layers. There's, there's the the real life actors. There's the characters yeah. they're playing, and then yeah. there's the characters that the characters are playing. Apologies, Richard yeah. Iwata play, Richard Iwata plays yeah. Dean Lerner, who the plays pu- Thornton pu- Reed. Publisher Dean Lerner, who plays uh, the character of Thornton Reed on Dark Place, and, and Thornton and Dean Lerner is the worst actor in the universe. Yeah. And and uh, Richard Iwata has said on um, that he's actually not a good actor. He prefers writing. So they decided just to write that into the show that mm-hmm. that Dean Lerner is. Not a good actor, so you can like see his eyes scanning cue cards, mm-hmm. and uh, he points at like inappropriate moments, and yeah, uh, just he none, picks none up the a phone like. to have a conversation, but he's he like has the rest of the conversation after he hangs up the phone. Yeah, like okay, I'll go. Yeah, he hangs up and then says the, goodbye. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've got Matt Barry as Todd Rivers. Uh, Matt Barry, who uh, lately you might know from the TV series What We Do in the Shadows, uh, but he's also been on uh, The Mighty Boosh, the mm. IT crowd. He's done a lot of funny music as well. Uh, um, he's also one of the funniest people alive. <laughs> so funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to say he's the best part of what we do in the shadows, but they're all the best part of what we do in the shadows because that's a damn funny show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, here he here he plays an actor named Todd Rivers, and Todd Rivers plays the character Doctor Lucian Sanchez, who they call Sanch, 
who is clearly the sex appeal of the show. Mm-hmm. Except uh, almost all of the storylines in which there's romance, uh, Lucian Sanchez is has like really neurotic because he's not as sexy as Rick Daglas. Uh, which he'll say out loud, I wish I was as sexy as Rick Daglas. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. All, all of Todd Rivers' lines are dubbed in post. Badly, <laughs> which is a great gag. And then we've got Alice Lowe as Madeline Wool. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays an actress who plays Dr. Liz Asher. Uh, Liz is the newest hire at Dark Place. Uh, she went to Cambridge, went to Harvard College, Yale. Har- Harvard she, College, Yale. She yes. went to Harvard College, Yale, where she aced every semester and got an A. Uh, <laughs> she is she's psychic, which is the plot point for a couple of episodes. That is Dr. Liz Asher is psychic. Yes. Yes. Uh, Madeline Madeline Wool, the actress who plays Dr. Liz Asher, mm. uh, we learn uh, has mysteriously gone missing. Yeah. And they say some really strangely uh, dark things about the circumstances of her death. Yeah, and Dean or, and, uh, or her disappearance. And Dean Lerner like has like seems to know a lot more about her death than he lets on. Yeah, like, which is very disturbing. She's, like she's probably buried in Russia somewhere. If she got a burial, it's like, what? <laughs> what do you know, Dean now, Lerner? The reason we know about the backstories of these actors mm-hmm. is because the show, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, is frequently interrupted by testimonials and interviews with the actors. Yeah, the idea is that this show has been brought out of mothballs because, according to Garth Marenghi, television is worse than it has ever been right now, and they're <laughs> desperate for content. Uh, and so they have not, they're not only showing the shows, they're also showing what would be the behind-the-scenes footage you would find on the DVD. Mm. Uh, which is good, because Garth Marenghi specifically says, like, you can, we'll explain everything to you so you don't have to think. <laughs> um, there's a great line Garth Marenghi has in here, which is, I know authors who use subtext, and they're all cowards. <laughs> like, everything to be upfront. So, uh, by the way, Alice Lowe... A uh, very, very funny, very good actor. She was in a movie in 2016 called Prevenge, which I, I oh, worried I came and went. Uh, she was pregnant at the time, and she wrote and directed and starred in a movie about a pregnant woman who is killing people because her unborn baby is telling her to. Ooh. And it's a, it's a dark comedy, Why? but it's actually okay. very, like, it actually really gets to, like, a lot of, like... Um, a lot of issues about motherhood that I think a lot of their movies are afraid to touch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little low budget and like you can kind of see like they're working around that, but it's really good okay. and I hope more people see it. I just want to throw it out there. I'm a big fan um, because because she doesn't get to do any of the interviews, I feel like Alice Lowe gets a little lost here, but she's always hilarious. Um, yeah. And there were six uh, six episodes of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and we will walk you through every single one of them uh, but yeah, every single episode, something weird and supernatural happens in Dark Place. The, and Rick Daglas, even though he's so busy being the greatest human being who ever lived, uh, has to find some way and some amount of time to solve everyone else's problems. Uh, there is um, there's a term called Mary Sue, uh, which is misused, and I've even misused it myself in the past. Well, it, it, but the, the, it's typically used to um, disp- a character that is clearly like a writer replacement character. Yeah, fan service, uh, fan insert character is what you fan, would call fan it. Fan insert, now. That's what, that was the phrase. Was and called. the idea is, uh, I am this character isn't, ju- I, I haven't just written a character to be in the show. I've written a character to be in this show who is based explicitly on me. 
and and, and every single and makes aspect me look good. Yeah, every yeah. single aspect of the story is designed to bolster the fact that I am awesome. Uh, so Garth Marenghi doesn't just write himself into the story; he writes himself into the story as the sexiest person in the world, as the greatest doctor in the world, as the wisest person in the world, as the most. Uh, uh, mysteriously tortured human being in the world and everyone around him responds as such he repeatedly like goes to visit children in the hospital and it's like thank you dr daglas you're the only doctor in the world who could have saved me you should be paid a hero's wage (laughs) yeah everything he's everybody uh heaps praise upon him in the sixth episode there's even a bit where the other three actors gather around and just talk about how wonderful he is I was I was reminded of um, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the TV series Red Dwarf. There you go. And uh, one of the characters is a complete egotist, but he's also completely ineffectual. He thinks he's a hero in his own mind, but he's actually a coward. And uh, there's a, a a sequence where the other characters have to like use this machine to go into his subconscious, and in playing in his subconscious the entire time is this like full bore musical number about how wonderful he is, and. Uh, they went in because, like, oh, we, we, he left the show. It's like, we really miss him. Let's go into his subconscious. And they get sick of him again. So that, that's <laughs> like, like the function they need to use this for. Hmm. He's just so unbelievably egotistical. And it takes place in a universe where that holds to be true, hmm. which just sort of uh, punches up the gag a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there are certain shows that are really well crafted in that they have the baseline premise, Mm. but there's also like a gag you can always fall back on. One of the jokes, uh, one of the shows I always think about is the Simpsons, not the Simpsons, uh, the Flintstones. Oh yeah. The Flintstones, it's a sitcom. It's a very conventional sitcom. If you watch the Flintstones, Mm. every single episode, it's some bullshit they ripped off of from the honeymooners. All right. It's like, Oh, I got to go bowling, but my wife wants me to go to dinner with her mother. Yeah. Ralph Crampton and Fred Flintstone are the same character. Same with Barty and Norton. Exactly. It's they're identical. It's completely banal, boring sitcom. The only thing that makes the Flintstones interesting, aside from the fact that it was primetime animation back when that was novel, uh, still relatively novel, but you know, at the time when it was like, Ooh, what the hell is this? Um, is it takes place in the stone age and when the scene is boring, they can always fall back on some kind of caveman gag. Yeah, you know, the, like, oh, the, we're the using ba- a little woolly mammoth. It's a vacuum cleaner. It's a vacuum mammoth. And the woolly mammoth goes, it's a living. <laughs> like, you've always got that to fall back on. Garth Marenghi has, like, four of those. Because in addition to, oh, it's another joke about how full of himself Garth Marenghi is, mm. you've also got, oh, it's another joke about how low budget this show is. And then you've got, oh, it's another joke from the cast talking about how great the show is even though it's not mm. um that's a lot so they never run out of material they never <laughs> not even for once even if because some episodes are like the actual plot of the dark place episode is better than others or uh-huh. more interesting or more eventful than others but you've always got these like three gags to fall back on and cycle through so it never gets old yeah it's pretty great yeah. uh so uh, let's talk about the pilot the pilot is called once upon a beginning They're hitting hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Liz Asher arrives mm-hmm. at Dark Place Hospital. Uh, she tells everybody. <laughs> the cat says, just leave. But the cat told me to leave. Uh, <laughs> and she starts getting psychic premonitions about something bad going on in the hospital. And mm. it turns out that. And, and she gets a lot of. She wears this ridiculous wig and gets a lot of glory shots of her rubbing her temples, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite things in like 
stories that involve psychics. Yeah, you always got to rub your temple. You have to rub like your temple. Like you have a mild sinus headache and you're just trying to loosen up those tubes. Like it, it's the only real yeah. way to like visually convey that something's going on in your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love that that was sort of like James McAvoy's move uh, mm-hmm. in the X-Men movies. Yeah, just put one finger in the temple. Put his finger Ooh. on the temple. I am doing psychic things at you. Uh, I, in, the, in the comics, you could have like big, you could yeah, draw Energy bubbles yeah. or whatever. Like I'm also fond of uh, nosebleeds. Oh, you like just so, so someone concentrating really hard and then they get one little nosebleed. Mm. Something, because, something in their head yeah. broke. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not from their nose. Like Usually that's like a thin mm. membrane at the back of your nose. Yeah. Just gets eaten away a little bit or something like that and it just bleeds a little bit of a nosebleed. No, no, this is your brain is bleeding, which I always feel like <laughs> you should get that looked at, mm. Professor X. <laughs> Got like, a nosebleed because he's thinking so hard. Uh, uh, maybe it's a psychosomatic thing. Maybe. Do you remember that scene in The Lawnmower Man where he gave himself uh, blisters? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, right, there's yeah. a scene where he's like concentrated so hard that he gave him, like he burned his own hand. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, but course, well, I mean, there's, nobody remembers that. There's it's fine. One, it's weird, though. There's one gag in the pilot episode of Dark Place, uh-huh. which is actually like genuinely creepy to me. Mm-hmm. And because most of it's ridiculous, everything is just like stupid camera angles and bad speed up slow motion effects. Mm. There's a gag they talk about how because every episode of Dark Place ran short, they use slow motion a lot, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> even in scenes with dialogue, <laughs> which is just amazing. Um, but uh, there's one bit where Liz is explaining that she's psychic and someone says, I don't believe you. And then she closes her eyes and opens them again and she has no eyes. <laughs> and then she just. <laughs> And then she opens it back up again, and that's it. They don't talk about it. It's one moment. It's so creepy. It's like that one bit in in Twin Peaks: The Return, where like the mom tears off her face in the middle of a bar. Yeah, and it's just sort of like God. What the? I did not expect to see that today. What the shit? (laughs) Fuck, Dark Place. You actually got me. How did you do that? My God. Um, but uh, the uh, the gag is Douglas when he was younger teamed up with a guy to open a portal to hell on the basement of Dark Place. Mm. And that guy has come back. And Daglas is a little nervous about seeing him again because they used to be best friends. Lucian is, of course, incredibly neurotic about this because he's afraid that Daglas will go back to his old best friend. <laughs> That's right. He's afraid of losing Daglas as a buddy. You're and my, uh, You're my best friend. God, I love his voice. <laughs> yes. He's, I understand like, if you want to be best buddies with someone else again. <laughs> it's like, like, there are certain comedians like... Uh, 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 Kate McKinnon is one of yeah. them, or or uh, um, John Lovitz. Like, no matter what they say, I'm going to laugh at it. Yeah, they just have a delivery style that just is perfect. Yeah, Phil Hartman was another one. Oh, he could make Phil anything Hartman was the funny. Best. Phil Hartman like, was the best. Oh, my God. Uh, Tom Lennon is another one. Uh, mm-hmm. In that movie, Cedar Rapids. I'm not sure if you saw that. I saw that. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, Tom Lennon has a bit at the beginning where he's like the star realtor, and he shows up on a video, and he turns to the camera and just says, Hi. And that, that, like, cracked up the entire audience. <laughs> like, c- certain comedians have that yeah. talent. And I feel that way about Matt Berry. Just yeah. everything goes, you're my friend. Oh, God. Yes, you know. <laughs> so stop it. Stop fun. it. Stop being funny. Um, I hope I don't meet him. It's like, hello, how do you do? <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> I was just saying hello. I know. It's so funny. <laughs> um, but uh, he goes to, Douglas goes to meet his old friend who's, like, at the hospital for some unexplained condition. And he, go, he walks inside. And the guy immediately explodes. Like, full-on, the end of Brian De Palma's The Fury <laughs> explosion, and there's meat hanging from the fucking ceiling, and then afterwards, this is all in slow motion, afterwards, Douglas says, are you alright? <laughs> we cut to Dean Lerner, or, uh, 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 who's talking about 
that scene. And he says, and he's very serious. He's got a cigar in his hand mm. and he's thinking very pensively. I don't know if Goth knew somebody who exploded. <laughs> But you could tell that scene meant a lot to him. It was very personal. And then it cuts to Garth Brink, and he was like, I have never exploded. But I know what it would be like. <laughs> I don't ask me how. I just know. And then it cuts back to Garth, uh, to, to Rick Douglas, who has to, like, finish off his best friend, who's now a severed head in the floor. And he's, he's like, please, Garth, finish me off. It really hurts. <laughs> it's just a head. So he whacks him oh, with God. a shovel and knocks him across the room like a hockey puck. And then it cuts to the uh, to the funeral, where of course, like the the corpse gets up and starts attacking people. <laughs> and Douglas has to has fortunately brought his gun to the funeral, and he shoots him dead. And there are all these like really random shots of uh, of Dean Lerner. Like, shooting a shotgun in a completely different field, off camera. There are a lot of gags like that where characters would appear in edits, or, like, they'd be holding something, and then they wouldn't. Like, a lot of deliberate continuity errors yeah. like that. <sighs> so, uh, mm. Douglas kills his best friend for, like, the third time. <laughs> and uh, then they they all talk about how gar- a dark place is now a darker place. And now they've, in addition to, you know, the rigors of day-to-day admin... They also have to deal with the supernatural every week. Dang it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a, a scene in every episode where uh, Dr. Daglas is on the roof of Dark Place Hospital, mm-hmm. sort of looking out at this really horrible backdrop that's clearly like 10 feet in front of him. Mm-hmm. Dark Place uh, is not even a real building. It's clearly like a very cheap model. Yeah, they, they show a, there's a glory shot of Dark Place Hospital at the beginning of every episode. And it's yeah, just a, a cardboard building. Uh, but yeah, he he sits on the uh, he has his like last final moment of contemplation on the the roof of the the hospital at the end of every episode. Yeah. Um, the next episode is called Hell Hath Fury, and this is an episode where Liz, because she's a woman, lets her emotions get away from her, and her psychic powers start causing all the stuff in the hospital to come to life and try to kill people. Just staplers. Dishes, folders, chairs. Everything's coming alive and trying to kill everybody. And everyone is talking horrible sexist shit to Liz all the time. That, this the, the gag of the show is that Garth Marenghi is a horrible sexist and he's uh, completely oblivious to this. And every single thing in the show sort of incorporates that worldview, whether he means it means it to or not. It, it's it's a very curious uh concept for a tv show in that we're in this fictional character's brain throughout the whole thing we're in his dark place we're in we're in garth marenghi's dark place and but in garth marenghi's dark place there's a lot of sexism there's a lot of violence mm-hmm. and a bit of racism later we'll yeah. get to specifically about the scottish so, people sometimes you have to be a bigot to catch bigger bigots is the joke of the show that's the, that's joke, not of, actually, that's the joke of that episode we're not we're not espousing um, that but uh as such, yeah, we get some pretty ugly attitudes, and they're always some, portrayed some as inherently the, stupid. Yeah, they're all really stupid, uh, and uh, the unfortunate thing is the female character inside Dark, Darth Marenghi's dark, dark Place is not given any agency to push back against those attitudes. Yeah. She just sort of rolls with it and says sexist things about herself as well. Yeah, like, there's a bit where, like, Garth, where Garth, uh, uh, where, where, sorry, where Rick Douglas 
like yells at her to like you know, you know he yells at her she's like thank you I deserve that and you're like yeah. thank and, God. and what, I, I de- as a woman I deserve like she'll say yeah. things like that and it's and and of course the gag is that men controlled the media and that sexism was rampant and people didn't question that on the air enough and this is actually something we've seen before we we did a one example I always think of is a show uh, which is kind of similar in some ways called. Um, it wasn't Bedazzled. What was the one with uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy? Oh, Baffled. Baffled. Mm. We did a show early on uh, in Cancel Too Soon called Baffled. Uh, and Baffled starred Which Leonard a, Nimoy as... A, a Gene Roddenberry show. No. Baffled wasn't? No, it, seemed, it feels like it, but no, it wasn't. It was Leonard Nimoy. It, it but was it Nimoy, the, but I thought that was... What, no. Wasn't Roddenberry involved in that one? No, you're right. thinking of the other uh, Supernatural show, Spectre. Oh, you're. I am thinking of Spectre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spectre, which was also a sexist show, uh, but <laughs> baffled. Gene Roddenberry wasn't the most. No, uh, but baffled like starred Leonard Nimoy yeah. as a as a race car driver who gets in an accident and now has psychic powers. And a woman who is an expert in the occult enlists him to solve a supernatural mystery. The actual supernatural mystery in that show is pretty good, and it sets mm. up an interesting idea for a show. But there's this one scene. That really just hammers home what an what an odd moment it was in the popular culture, where she walks up to Leonard Nimoy and he's fiddling around with a car. He's like, "What is it with men and their cars?" And Leonard Nimoy says, "Oh, are you a feminist?" And she says, "No, I'm open to all views," which is like, "I'm open to all views, including the views that suggest that I don't deserve rights." Yeah, and I'm like, "No, you want to say well, you want you want to have the feminist attitude, but you don't want to." Say you're feminist, which is weird. Well, that and we talked about this when we reviewed that show about yeah. what the word like the the way a lot of anti-feminists were trying to vilify the word at the time, and yeah. people weren't saying the word feminist because mm. they were like a, a lot of uh, anti-feminists were trying to attach negative connotations to it, right? Like, which uh, which would then, it's like which like being anti-fascist now is being weaponized by the fascists. Yeah, uh, like, like how, the how true dare... fascists are the people who are against fascism. Yeah, how how dare you not tolerate my intolerance? That kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing. And and unfortunately, it took hold. And if you watch a, like a lot of shows from that era, hmm. uh, you're going to see a lot of people who are. Clearly, characters who would espouse feminist viewpoints would be feminists, but the the showrunners are telling them they're not allowed to say it, mm. and it always rings false. Yeah. So here so we've got are. some kind of uh, sort of an inverse of that. I'm, um, I'm Doctor Sanchez. You're a woman. Yes, I hope that's not a problem. Is one of the quotes. Yeah, exactly. And she says, "I hope that's not a problem," and he says, "Not at all. There's plenty of things. There's so many like skirts in the ward." Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, but again, the show knows that that's wrong because every single thing Garth Marenghi says, does, and believes is stupid and wrong. The one downside of that is that there's nothing actively pushing back against that. If I have one major critique about this show, Mm. and we already talked about it a little bit, it's that Alice Lowe's character doesn't get the comment. Mm. The only people who survived the production of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place were the men. Mm. And as a result, you never get to hear someone who maybe has another opinion. Has, and, has something negative to say about the show. And it would have been, and I know, that I realize that you're trying to sell one type of joke here, mm. but there's there has to have been a way to allow for that, to maybe just confirm to the audience what we're doing here. 
Mm. There's uh, there's an old expression. I wish I could remember who said it, but um, if you're gonna spin the camera around 360 degrees, you got to spin it back one degree just so people know you did it on purpose. <laughs> okay. Because you need to be able to prove. Because if if the audience can watch your show and accidentally believe in what you're satirizing, you did it wrong. Mm. Because you were doing this to convey a point. And I feel very comfortable saying that Garth Marenghi is conveying a point about sexism and bigotry and all the other things I, that Garth Marenghi believes in. He, but, the, again, the show never explicitly says that very well, which is uh, well, I, something I, that maybe could have been done without ruining the show. Th- this is a show from the early 2000s when a lot of, um, and, and I'm thinking of uh, a lot of animated programs. South Park. South Park, yeah, South Park and Family Guy especially. Uh, started to use a lot of shocking racist language mm-hmm. uh, to, and they were clearly doing it to mock racist attitudes. Right, trying to show these are not words we say anymore. What would what do they even sound like now in the late nineties or early two mm-hmm. thousands? We're going to start wielding them and show you just how absurd racism looks in mm-hmm. this in this. And of course, it's uh, emphasized by the fact that these are like little cardboard cutout characters. Right, uh, and. So there's a lot of TV programs that try to mine a lot of comedy using this kind of shocking, racist, sexist language. Under, the, under the assumption, assumption that, that we're the past audi- that as a culture. Yeah, that, that, Problem is then you normalized it. Well, yeah, A, you normalized it, and B, uh, it didn't... Not a lot of these shows went to enough lengths to make it sound any different from just regular racism or sexism. So if you actually were a racist or sexist, like mm. like not not in the way that like we all have flaws and we're working on them, but like you are a genuinely like a, like racist a, a human being, person, yeah. you would you could watch these shows and ignore the fact that they're satire and feel like they're for you, mm. and that's dangerous, and that's not a responsible way to do comedy. Um, and I think Garth Marenghi rides the line on that, which, again, I think maybe they he's, could have found a way to do it a little bit better, because but it's pretty it's, close. Because it's uh, Garth Marenghi is such like a, an awful egotistical person, mm-hmm. and because this is a show that was shot in the past, like they're satirizing yeah. a lot of This these, is what people believed th- in the this 80s. Is, this is what yeah. sexism, th- there, this is how much sexism there was on the BBC in the 1980s, and it just happened. Yeah. Like it was actually straightforward sexism at the time, right. and now we're kind of mocking that so there 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 is an element of satire to it but yes i would have also appreciated some actual in like pushback in dialogue mm-hmm. from some of these characters or like mm. uh, or at least acknowledging yeah. it in some way like i realize exactly. yeah it, 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 i realize what you're trying to do here and that you don't want to if you push back too far on it then this air of like superiority that these characters have which is completely unearned yeah. would maybe stop working as a joke, but I know there's a way to find a good balance there. I know there mm-hmm. is. Um, but in any case, uh, the big gag of this episode, other than uh, everyone's obviously being sexist to Liz, and obviously their sexism is leading to their comeuppance, mm-hmm. uh, but they're oblivious to that, and it, it ends with them giving her a playful lobotomy. Uh, is uh, But she's fine. They just like took out the psychic part of her brain, which they would forget about like one episode later when yeah. she's still psychic. Um, but uh, the, the <laughs> just, gag just is the phrase "playful lobotomy." <laughs> the, the gag is everything's floating around the office, and it looks really, really stupid. Mm. There's also an intern in this episode uh, who is set up to be like an important character, but actually he's just there to die. Mm. And every single time they play him up, like Douglas talks him about him constantly. It's a good satire of every single time you'll watch an episode of Star Trek and all of a sudden there's a new character we've never seen before. 
<laughs> and everyone's always just like, oh yeah, this, thank goodness we have this history expert who's here, and they're not going to die when we beam down to the planet. Yeah, our, uh, what was the title of the episode where they met the Aztec god? Oh, I oh totally yeah. Forgot. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Sharper, how sharper than a serpent's Harper, tooth. How sharper than a serpent's tooth. Yeah, all of a sudden there's a new character on the bridge who's been there the whole time. Uh-huh. Uh, and it turns out he ha- just happens to have the special knowledge that they need to yeah. solve the problem that week. Yeah, so it's a parody of that. It's a parody of characters who only exist how to, to, to die. Uh, it's pretty damn funny. This, guest, this episode also guest stars Stephen Merchant before he was a well-known comedic presence. Mm. Uh, but uh, he plays the cook who is taking too long to cook lunch. And that's what sets all of these events in motion. The next episode is a genuinely unpleasant episode (laughs) called Skipper the Eye Child. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, yeah. This is a weird one. I was already in love. (laughs) But then they do something special for you anyway. Skipper the Eye Child uh, is... is, uh, There's a guy who is in the hospital... And he is attacked, and they got, thank God they blurted out, because it's so disgusting. He's attacked by an eye monster, and then gives birth to another eye monster. Mm. And Rick Daglas, who we see in flashbacks, used to have a half-human, half-grasshopper son, uh, who died, tragically, uh, has decided to adopt Skipper the Eye Child, who's this giant eyeball. Like it looks really fucking gross. <laughs> uh, and the, and the, eye mon- the, the eye monster that... Like it has, it has a big penis. Yes, they, they give the eye monster a big penis and they blur it out. And of course, they they cut to the actors' comments like, "Why do we have to blur that out? I'm brave. <laughs> we, um, we we built it. It's like it's like the most disgusting thing. It's absolutely repugnant. Yeah. And uh, but like the whole gag is that Daglas misses his son <laughs> and is gonna he's he's look, turning a blind eye to the fact that Skipper the Eye Child is a horrible monster. Blind eye, ha ha. Like, that was an accident, but. Uh, <laughs> It ends with him trying, giving this really impassioned speech about how we need to care about things, even though they are horrifically disgusting. And then Skipper bites Rick Daglas, and he like destroys it. He, kill, yeah. he kills it really, really bad, like in an Evil Dead movie, I, I was smashing around of, against things, liquefying it. It's reminded of Pinchy. If you remember oh, yeah. the, the Simpsons episode where Homer had a t- lobster, he, he he tries to like keep a pet lobster. Yeah, and it's it's a lobster. He can't keep a pet. He he wanted to eat it. But then he accidentally uh, gave it a bath. Give it gives it a bath in boiling water. It's like, oh, what smells so good? Oh no, Pinchy! And the last scene is one of the most twisted things I've seen on The Simpsons, where he's crying for the death of Pinchy while he's eating Pinchy. <laughs> oh, like, poor Pinchy! Like, oh, poor Pinchy! The butter. <laughs> I know it's so delicious. Daddy, you gonna share that? No, it's what Pinchy would have wanted. <laughs> it's pretty dark. Yeah. It's so, dark. so yeah. <laughs> This, this, this weird eyeball creature bites him and he murders it horrendously. One gag we haven't mentioned, which is never really discussed, but it always makes me laugh. Uh, Rick Daglas has a supercar. That's right. He has this weird little, it looks like a gremlin, but it's uh, 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 it's a convertible. And it has like a computer in it with like big Star Trek buttons. And we never know what they do. And the implication is either this is trendy, Knight Rider was still on the air kind of vibe, hmm. or we get to keep the stuff from the show. <laughs> Garth Brangy <laughs> wrote in this car so that he could Just keep the car. Trying to make himself look cool either way. Um, I love the Eye of Child episode. It's so, so sick. It grosses me out. Um, the next episode is called The Apes of Wrath. 
And this is the Planet of the Apes episode where mm. uh, it turns out that the water in Dark Place has been infected. It's bright green, but mm. nobody notices that until after they've drank it a bunch of times. It looks like Brondo. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Brondo's got what plants crave. Uh, and uh, so everyone starts drinking it. Uh, Rick and Liz turned into apes and they start like walking around like apes. And they do they, they do the ape work. Like they clearly like took some mime classes and like learned how to walk in an mm-hmm. ape-like way. Um, but uh, Rick, unfortunately, gets knocked out. From, he's like unconscious for a couple of months. And when he wakes up, apes have taken over the hospital. <laughs> but it runs better now. <laughs> which is a funny gag. And Thornton Reed has been like locked in his office this whole time. He's the only person who hasn't been affected. <laughs> for some reason, he hasn't had any water that whole time. <laughs> and there's a great bit. Where he like he has the water in his hands and he takes a tiny sip and then Daglas goes, Wait, it's in the water. And then Thornton Reed says, Oh, it's a good thing I only took a tiny sip. And then it cuts to Dean Lerner in the in the interview room. Some people have said that that's a plot hole, but we covered it. We said it's okay because he only took a tiny sip. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulating himself. Genius. Um that's a stupid episode of television. They're all stupid episodes well, they're, of television. They're, they're pointing out how stupid a lot of these stories are. Look, yeah. you and I love horror anthology shows and horror shows. We've yeah. covered a lot on the on this program. Uh, but there's a lot of plots they tend to recycle, aren't there? Yes, there are. And I think that's kind of what Dark, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place was getting at. I think, ultimately, this is making fun of prolific horror authors who do a lot of cliched stuff. Yeah. And yet are speak very highly of themselves. Yeah. Harlan Ellison in particular, but also <laughs> Stephen King or sure. your Dean Koontz or any, uh, whatever. If, if, if you ever want to see Stephen King in full Garth Marenghi mode, hmm. do yourself a favor, find the original theatrical trailer from Maximum Overdrive. Oh, where he talks about how great this movie is going it's to be because he directed it. It's Stephen King looking directly at the camera saying, I'm tired of filmmakers ruining my books. Yeah. Hacks. Like, like Brian, Brian De, Palma De Palma and Stanley Kubrick and David and Cronenberg. <laughs> those hacks. As I said, if you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. That's why I've directed my scariest movie ever. And there's this great bit where he points at the camera and says, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's like a giant green goblin face in the back because hmm. the movie is about a truck with a, with a green goblin face on it that comes alive and attacks Emilio Estevez and a bunch of other people at a gas station not, not, not and holds them the, hostage, forcing them to give the trucks gas. That's the plot of that movie. Because, this, because a comet I, came by Earth. And it's not just trucks, it's like all machines. And there's a scene yeah. where a soda machine kills a baseball team by shooting soda cans. <laughs> it's a very entertaining motion picture, but by God, um, is it stupid. My favorite bit is the, the bit where one, I think uh, one of the one of the waitresses mm. like can't take it anymore. And she like runs up to the trucks and she's like, we made you! Like... They're not grateful. <laughs> they, they want you dead. I think they understand um, the basic premise here, but they're not happy the, uh, about it. There's a tendency for, because horror authors work in horror, horror is a genre that deals with fear, mm-hmm. 
there's a temptation to stay dark in interviews yeah, out, to, outside of your creation. To cultivate this idea that you yeah. yourself are dark and mysterious and scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a scary guy. And Stephen King even says things like, oh, yes, I have the heart of a young child in a jar on my desk. And, I remember uh, that commercial. Yeah. It was yeah. a commercial on television once. I forget, yeah. <laughs> I forget what book he was promoting, but yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it's been trotted out every time uh, some, because uh, this was said about the movie Hellraiser. Mm. I've seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. Uh, and yeah. they played that in the previews. Clive Barker never does that. What are you doing? Oh, I'm, I, I, I like painting human skin. You know, he's, <laughs> he's just doing what he does. Yeah. He likes what he does. There are yeah. some horror authors who just sort of do what they do. And, you yeah. know, they're, they're actually just interested in horror. And Stephen King is as well. But he's also kind of a homey guy who lives in Maine. Well, Stephen King became not just an author. He became a, 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 a franchise. Yeah. He became a brand. And I just, I don't know how much of this was him or how much of this was like his publisher or his agent telling mm. him to ham it up, sell it. But he did for a yeah. long time and it worked, but it worked. But I, I've seen People so, so many horror authors have to do that thing. They have to ham it up to sell their brand. Mm-hmm. And some of them are that way. Some of them like to ham it up, but a lot of them are clearly being instructed by their publishers or they're just sort of, they've bought into their own myth. Mm-hmm. They can't just sort of say, oh, well, what was your inspiration for this guy who eats himself? And they can't just say, oh, I know, a little embarrassed. I was just having kind of a dark mood and I, I went and had some cocoa and I felt better. But I wrote the story like the, you don't ever get that sort of no. like attitude from a horror author. Yeah, they tend to start skewing into the Garth Marenghi world. And I think that weird little bubble of horror author publicity is what this show is most directly satirizing. Yeah. And he's really good. And it's and it's really good at it because this is something yeah. I think we're all weirdly familiar with, uh, just by general cultural osmosis. I think yeah. it's particularly Stephen King, just because he's the mm. most popular. But yeah, most horror authors sort of have this streak in them. Yeah, they try to cultivate a mystique. Yeah, mm. uh, the fifth episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is called Scotch Mist. And this was an episode that was even controversial <laughs> when it was made, quote unquote. Because it was co- considered racist at the time, which yeah. it is. Yeah, the idea is that uh, a supernatural Scottish mist has descended upon Dark Place. And in the mist, not unlike the movie The Fog, which they're clearly ripping off, um, has a bunch of Scottish Highlanders in like full hmm. bagpipe regalia yeah, uh, coming in to, uh... to, do, to do evil. Clearly inspired, A, by the uh, self-acknowledged, completely inexplicable animosity that the Brits have towards the Scots. Mm -hmm. It's like... And in particular, Garth Marenghi. Garth Marenghi, who hates Scots. Uh, uh, It's like uh, America's relationship to Canada. Yeah. There's a lot of American media that makes fun of Canada. For no reason. We have no. nothing against Canada. (laughs) What are they ever doing? There's no reason. It's so weird. you, You Canadians with your... Fine beers and politeness, and, yeah, and, like, and better health care yeah. and also problems as well. No, but Canada, like, yeah. Canada certainly has its problems. Yeah. But you know, I, there's are, no reason, are, the there's critiques no, uh, are never about the problems. The critiques are always about superficial bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's like you you have donuts and and hockey. Well, yeah. So what? <laughs> I've been to uh, that. Uh, I've I've been to that one coffee shop you have everywhere. Mm. It's fine, I guess. Uh, oh yeah, I've, I've been to that coffee shop as well. Wait, their their oh donut God. shop. It's um, 
the the I, I went I went to uh, uh, Winnipeg and uh, yeah. for a set visit once, and I I asked like what's the I, I had heard about the notoriously grand Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. I yeah. went to a Tim Hortons. I asked about the notoriously grand Canadian donuts, and they were like, oh, I don't know, go to Tim Hortons. That's what we yeah. got. Tim Hortons is like, it's so like imagine Hortons if Dunkin' was... Donuts was as ubiquitous as Starbucks. Yeah. Every time I've been to Canada, there's just a Tim Hortons everywhere. I'm sure that's not true everywhere in Canada, but I've been to Toronto a lot. There are Tim Hortons literally everywhere. I, I went to Tim Hortons, and you know what? I was not impressed. They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> They're fine. It's a perfectly nice place. We, we live in Los Angeles, and uh, we don't do a lot of food great. We like to pretend that we do, but we don't. And uh, but, I think that's an exaggeration. We, but we, I think... We, you can find good stuff I in think almost like, anything. Like, th- like three of the top ten like donut shops in the whole world are here mm. in L.A., so yeah. I was spoiled on Although, donuts. Didn't, was it Floyd's that actually closed down? Stans. Stans. Stans ended up moving. No, 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 no. Um, I'm talking about the one in Westwood. That stands. That stands? Oh, I thought they closed. Okay. They they well they moved out of state. I think they opened up in like Texas or something. Oh wow. But, oh, um, that's okay, well good yeah. for Texas, bad for us. Um yeah, bad, bad for you. Yeah, Stans no. Donuts was one of the best donut shops in the world. Oh my god, and, Stans um, was good. It was right down yeah. the street from Diddy Reese too, which is this great little uh, uh, like, ice cream cookie sandwich shop. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, lines if, always around the block. If, you want, if, Reese, if you're into so sweets, those things that's a great place. It's to It's a go. good block um, to be in. Um, but anyway, um, Scott but Smith. Anyway, is, yeah, I was off on Canada. Uh, yeah. the, the The relationship between England and Scotland, as I've seen in media, is that kind of animosity where it's actually completely meaningless. Well, like, no, there's like, a lot of history there. There's a lot of, there is a lot of history there, but yeah. when I see it satirized, it's always about the superficial stuff. It's like, yeah. oh, we Brits hate the Scots because they wear kilts. It's like, so what? They wear kilts. You can wear like, kilts if you wanted to. Yeah. They're nice. And, and they and their accents are a little different from ours. You're ac- yeah. So... so. <laughs> You say that about people from Wales. What so, do you want? So there, there was, there's no actual cultural skewering going on in the Scotch Mist episode. Mm-hmm. It's about... The superficial stuff. The, yeah. Some some Scots have red beards. The idea is that Daglas went to Scotland once and didn't have a good time. So mm. now he hates Scottish people. Mm. And he the only way to stop the Scotch mist uh, is for Daglas to overcome his bigotry mm. and apologize to the Scottish ghosts by giving them shortbread. <laughs> he has a bag of shortbread. <laughs> and he gives them some shortbread. And the Scottish, Scottish ghost is like... Mm not bad and then they forgive him and now everything moves on um, can we share an iron brew no 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 the last episode have, have you had iron brew no you haven't no i don't think i have you can get it in at galco's in pylon park okay it's a, should it's i scottish national drink okay if, if you want to know the scottish character drink some oh, iron okay brew. we'll do <laughs> all right uh and uh lastly the final episode was the creeping moss from the shores of shugoth which of course is a vague allusion to H.P. Lovecraft. There's really nothing Lovecraftian in the mm-hmm. episode, or any of the episodes, really. I guess maybe the first one, kind of. Um, but uh, Dr. Sanchez falls in love with a patient who has become uh, infected a green, with alien broccoli. There's a green mist that turns her into broccoli. She starts yeah. growing broccoli. I out do of her appreciate face. that they comment on the fact that this is a different green mist from last week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's left next to an air vent and green mist affects her. She starts turning green. Her fingers start turning into little broccoli stalks. And by the end by of the, the episode, end, her whole head is just sprouting with broccoli. I love the broccoli helmet they put on this actress at the end of this episode. It always I cannot look at it without laughing. It's just the heads of broccoli. Whoever made that thing, it's clearly like a bicycle helmet, which is broccoli taped to mm. it. It's so great. Um, 
But uh, Dr. Sanchez, who is in love with Liz, but she only has eyes for Daglas, who is too sexist to notice. Uh, he's fallen in love with somebody. This is patient. They have sex. And it turns out uh, that he has been infected with broccoli and they're all going to die. And the only way to save him uh, is to is to cut his 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 bits off. And of course he doesn't want this, but they do anyway. <laughs> and he thanks Daglas for it, oh. and it turns out fine. She of course passes away. Uh, and this is this is a weird one because this is in many respects a look at the incredibly awkward ways in which movies attempted to address the AIDS epidemic without actually doing so. And so this episode is a weird watch, honestly. Mm. This one is, I see what they're doing, and in a vacuum it kind of works, but when they actually mention it, you're just sort of like, you know what, that just made it not fun. It's, mm. you re when you think about it, it's like, yeah, this is, a, this is an awkward sit. I got, like, like the sexism on the show, if they yeah. had uh, an opportunity to address it a little bit more directly, yeah, uh, then it, it might have played better. Well, yeah, have someone who maybe, mm. you know what you could have done? You could have had someone like from the network explaining what they why they oh, actually did these things, yeah, yeah. and they could be like just as stupid as any of the other characters most but, of the time. But, but every once in a while, they like make a, a valid point, a, like a different perspective. You know? like, yeah. Maybe that would have been a good uh, approach here. Maybe that would have made some of these because they they talk about it. Dean Lerner talks about you know what it was like mm. in the eighties, but these aren't serious characters, and as a result, something that actually is really really serious, like sexism and like. AIDS, mm. uh, you know, when they attempt to address it in anything resembling a serious tone, they're addressing it in the exact same tone that they address anything ridiculous. Mm. And it just doesn't hit the same way. And for me, this episode is probably the, the least of the series, yeah, yeah. even though it does have an amazing musical oh. number. <laughs> uh, which um, Sanchez gets to sing. Yeah, it's really great. Mm. Um, so it's not a total wash, but there's, the, not every episode of Garth Marenghi mm. is equal. Um, I think... Once Upon a Beginning and uh, Hell Hath Fury and the Apes of Wrath are pretty much the mm. highlights of the series, and the other ones are a bit I, hit and miss. I, I like the Eye Child. Okay. <laughs> the Eye Child is just so bizarre. Uh, but there's there's gold just sort of littered throughout this show. Oh, yeah. There's all, Every all kinds of little brilliant in it. zingers or, yeah. or, or one-liners that you, you just take away. It, what what uh, what what some people call quotable, just fun, funny oh funny dialogue you want to repeat. I've um, been quoting this show for forever, and I'm yeah. so glad you finally know what I'm quoting. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I actually looked up a few uh, a few. Uh, oh yeah, you have your favorite quotes. A few yeah, wonderful quotes. Um, an eagle-eyed viewer might be able to see the wires. A pedant might be able to see the wires. <laughs> but I think if you're looking at the wires, you're ignoring the story. If you go to a puppet show. You can see the wires, but it's about the puppets. It's not about the string. If you go to Punch and Judy and you're only watching the wires, you're a freak. <laughs> Punch and Judy doesn't have wires. No. <laughs> it's a hand puppet Pu show. It's a hand puppet show. <laughs> that's the gag, but, in case which, anyone missed it. But that, that, that's a wonderfully brilliant passage because, A, it's kind of true. Yeah. Like, if, if you're involved in the story, you're, you're going to forgive a lot of the, the technical flaws. Mm -hmm. But it's also a way to cover up technical flaws yeah. that, that are in this show clearly very obvious. Yeah. It's like you can see the wires and they cut to the producer. Well, of course you can see the wires. We're telling a story. <laughs> you said cheap special effects, didn't you? <laughs> Any others? Any other favorites? Um, Oh God. Let, let, let me look through here. Um, there's one in the first episode that I really, really liked. Um, mm. 
uh, it comes right out of the gate swinging, like something, something was pouring from his mouth. He examined his sleeve. Blood? Blood. Crimson, copper-smelling blood. His blood. 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 And bits of sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really wish mm. like there were actually like Garth Rangi novels to buy. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, there's been other Garth Rangi media. Uh, there was a show called Man to Man with Dean Lerner, mm. which was a fake talk show hosted by Dean Lerner. Um, all of the episodes star uh, Richard Iowate and Matthew Holness. Mm. Uh, in the first episode, Matthew Holness plays Garth Marenghi. Mm. Um, it's not really the same as the show continuing. It's just sort of like a cameo and something else. It's a fun watch. Not quite as good as the actual Garth Marenghi show. But they do get to show a movie adaptation of one of Garth Marenghi's novels, which is uh, basically... Uh, giant wasps attacking the earth, uh, which he has decided was a metaphor for what he perceived as the inevitable oncoming war with the Dutch. Um, weird. Um, so that's available too. Uh, and but um, yeah, Garth Marenghi. There was talk of like if there if another season been picked up, they could have just found more episodes. There's plenty more they could have done. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, this this came and went, and then it never went any. It never like left. It went, but it never left. It was always <laughs> around. You can find it skulking in the corners of the internet or mm. on Adult Swim sometimes, or or well, at various Comic Cons. Yeah, here here in the United States, um, I, I was reminded of um, Simon Pegg's show Space, yeah, yeah, which yeah. was this huge phenomenon in England and was in cult audiences for a while here in the United States. And eventually uh, the U.S. got a video release and it sort of proliferated. Yeah, th- and also that was... Simon Pegg became an enormous celebrity. A yeah. lot of his movies. Well, Shaun of the Dead well. raised interest in it because it was seen right. as this very British phenomenon and the only way you can really get it in America initially was through pirated copies. And I yeah, remember yeah. like going, in, I've talked about this before, but I remember going into comic book stores and they would be like, so... You want to see something really funny? <laughs> and they would have like a, a VHS underneath the, the, the desk and they pull it out, they'd slide it over to you and you could like Absolutely. borrow it and like, yeah. Clearly like printed out a label on their, their print home printer and stuck it on the VHS tape. If, if that, it might have just been in Sharpie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was like, it, you had to find it. You had to know mm. someone cool in order to get it for a while. And now, then of course they just put it on DVD. And thank God, I remember when that was announced and there was cel- celebrating in the streets. It was like the day they invented sliced bread. And everyone's like, yay! Finally! Um, so yeah, it's got that culty vibe. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, it never spiked beyond that. We never had a Garth Marenghi movie. We never had mm-hmm. Garth Marenghi action figures. And that's a tragedy. Well, I have some issues with a... some of this show, but I think oh. it's all because they took big swings and you know they whiffed it a couple of times and when they tried to tackle a larger yeah. issue. But... It's a funny show, Dan. It, it's so so funny. It's just so sharply written. It's we- I love the weirdly high concept that they're the characters are commenting on their own show as it's going on from like a few decades removed. Uh, I the character of Garth Marenghi is a funny cre- creation. The sort of yeah. like Dean Koontz wannabe who's actually a very bad author. Oh, Dean Koontz wannabe. <laughs> <laughs> it's not not even as good as Dean Koontz. <laughs> Go, the the kind of author you see on a lot of uh, Goodwill shelves, yeah, like a lot of people read the books and then gave them away, yeah. Uh, 
But there's, I feel about Gar, uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place the same way I feel about uh, Police Squad. Okay. In that it is just complete gold, but I don't want any more. Mm. I, th- I think we, we got it. And there might even be this, like, they might have run out of ideas. Maybe they had a lot of really grand ideas going forward. Maybe there would have been some twists in the show. But I feel like the idea is now neatly enclosed. Right. We're good. So I don't think I want it anymore after the so you're six episodes You're saying the show wasn't canceled too it soon. It wasn't canceled too soon. Okay. I think it... it works fine with just the six episodes it had. I, uh, I, I'm, like, I'm with you, I'm not. Be, because it's sealed off and because it's kind of obscure, it mm. ma- that makes it a little bit more special. I, I'm half with you and I'm half mm. not. I actually agree that... Here's here's what I... I want more Garth Marenghi, but I don't want more Garth Marenghi's Dark Place as a series. Okay. Like, I think as a series, it's basically <clears throat> done. If it were up to me, if somehow I was magically granted the rights to all of this and I could get the original cast back... Here's what I would have done. Hmm. The Garth Marenghi Christmas special. <laughs> the Christmas episode of Dark Place. Hmm. We filmed it, but we never edited it together before now. And now finally there's interest. We did one Christmas special. Boom. I want to see that. Then we're good. That's it for Garth Marenghi as a show. But we're going to have Garth Marenghi action figures. I want a hmm. Garth Marenghi point and click adventure game like a LucasArts game. <laughs> All right. I think, okay. we're, I think we're entitled to that. Hmm. I want Garth Marenghi like spoken word albums. Like uh, like he's reading his own books. Uh, I think there's so much more I want from this character and this these people who made it within this framework. But I agree that kind of the premise of the show is that they didn't make a lot of it. So to continue it too far would be kind of missing the point. If you kind of get a joke out of it, if you did one more season, but mm. I think we're good. Um. So yeah, I think this is exactly where it needs to be. Culty of its time, uh, you know, you can roll your eyes at parts of it, but the parts that work are truly transcendently funny. Hmm. Uh, and that is, wow, my wind chime is loud today. <laughs> it's really, really just chiming in, aren't you? It was chiming in from the other side, a tune of darkness that was bringing in blood, blood, <laughs> blood, blood, blood. Blood and bits of sick. <laughs> um, so that is canceled too soon for this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, Dark Place is currently available in America, at least on Amazon Prime. But check your local listings or whatever for where it can be found on streaming or on video. Um, it will vary from place mm-hmm. to place, unfortunately. Um, and um, yeah, we'll be back next time with another canceled too soon uh, uh, oddity. Mm-hmm. We'll leave it at that. We'll let you discover it along with us. Uh, but coming up soon, we just did our schedule for the next couple of months and canceled too soon. September is suddenly last season. The whole month we dedicate to TV shows that were very recently canceled after one season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they had a shot and they were canceled for reasons which may or may not be any good. We will find out. Uh, we have a pretty good track record with these, but so far one, one show that we've covered on suddenly last season, eventually came back for another season, and that was Tuca and Birdie. But yeah, which has returned. Which so. and thank goodness because that show was brilliant. The, the show so, is brilliant, but it makes us look like asses. No, because if we find a good show, maybe we can give it that cancel too soon bump. 
Mm. And then maybe we can bring it. Maybe maybe well, as, we can help. As, as we know, uh, a lot of Hollywood television producers listen to our show. Yes, they do, and they want to make sure they have to know what our opinion is before they move on anything. And I understand that, and that's why I'm sorry that you know our schedule has been a little wonky, but we're going back. Mm. Uh, so that's the month of September. We're doing suddenly last season, and then in October, Scary Tober returns. <laughs> Yes. And we're going to be doing a bunch of failed uh, TV shows and pilots uh, for TV shows that were in the horror vein, mm. uh, if you will. And I'm looking forward to all of that. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. So stick around. And of course, you get a lot of other shows here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. We have our Critically Acclaimed Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of exclusive shows, including shows uh, about Batman, Star Trek, the Academy Awards, commentary tracks. We have Hangouts. Got a Hangout coming this next week, actually. Um... All of that's available there, uh, and you can vote for future episodes of our programs as well. Um, so thank you to every single one of our patrons. If you can't afford to be a patron, I totally get it. Hmm. Life is so hard right now. <laughs> uh, but if you want to help out the show, there's a lot of other ways to do it. Leave us a review if you can do it. Even just a couple of sentences on like Apple Podcasts or wherever. Really helps us find a, a bigger audience that just hits the algorithm really, really hard. You can talk about us on social media. We are at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want to contribute to the conversation, you can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. And if you want to send us an actual letter, physical, on paper, or anything else you want to send us, we have a P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our P.O. Uh, box? Uh, Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And of course, everyone likes soap. Head on over to Salt Cat Soap on Instagram and Twitter. You should have a link to our Etsy store, or just look at Etsy, go to Etsy, look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. You can find a bunch of handcrafted soaps designed by M. Lapis da Silva and myself. Uh, we're working on some fun fall designs right now, but there's a lot of really cool stuff we've added to the store for August. We hope you check it out. Thank you to everybody who already has, and thank you to everybody who left us a review. The reviews have been really glowing so far. We're just really grateful, and we're glad you're enjoying the soap. So, mm. thank you for that. Uh, that is it for Cancel Too Soon. Never forget, everyone's canceled too soon. See you next season.